Are you ready for the out-of-context summary? Let's hear it. Are you ever not, though? I don't know why I ask you every time. I have no choice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here we go. In this episode, Shimano gets a haircut, and I think most of us thought that that was impossible. Nishiki is accused of smooching some tushy, and Kiryu walks the line between helping and kidnapping. It sounds pretty bad. You got all the characters involved, but let's go back to Shimano. We all know he's bald. Does he really need a haircut? Or are we talking like a, a leg haircut, an armpit haircut? I'm kind of curious what kind of he's hair we're talking about. He's Kathy. He's BBC. <laughs> and that's not what you're thinking. It's bald by choice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming back from our replay reviews. My name is Leah. And my name is Kathy. We are two friends who are here to replay, review, and analyze your favorite video games. And since Kathy has never seen the games before, it helps me view them through her fresh eyes, almost like I'm discovering them again for the first time. We hope it will be a similar experience for you. Well, if you are participating in the Majima Everywhere thumbnail competition, don't forget to comment on our Instagram post or send us an email through our website. There might be a prize involved if you can find all of them. Are you ready to just jump into chapter three? Yeah, I'm ready. We temporarily go back in time to see what Nishiki was up to, and we see an intense side of Shimano. We're back to 1996, which is a pretty important year for you and I, Kathy. Kashiwagi is informing Nishiki that he is getting his own family. At first, he says that it should be no surprise after all the hard work Nishiki has done. But then he kind of says that Kiryu's going to need a place to land after he gets out of prison. So is he getting this family because he's earned it or because they they need someone to take Kiryu in? Is this about Nishiki or is it about Kiryu? That's a really good question, but I think we're going to need to take a step back and, and recognize the fact that Kazama probably wouldn't set Nishiki up if he wasn't ready for it. So I think it's about both of them that if Nishiki wasn't able to handle his own family, they probably would have waited a bit more and it seemed like he was ready. But with that said, it does kind of sound like he didn't earn it. On the back of their minds, they realize that it's a matter of time that Nishiki is going to get his own family and he's going to do whatever he can to help Kiryu out. Well, that could almost even be worse, though, because then it's like he deserves his own family, but he's getting it to benefit Kiryu. You know what I mean? Like, it depends. Like, how how does he see it, I think? Because I think you could see it from either way. But I think it's a matter of mindset because otherwise it would be it's not like it's to benefit Kiryu. It's that a benefit is that Kiryu could join the family, but that's not the main thing. So I think it's just the perspective. And I'm I'm genuinely curious what. Nishiki's gonna feel like and this is just only the very tip of the iceberg we don't really know mm-hmm. what happens years after 1996 going back to the timeline of Nishiki and getting his family there's four years in between and my first initial reaction was like oh Nishiki's leaving not because he was forced to or because of anything but it's because Kazuma is letting him go and, and Nishiki agrees but we also don't really know the time period, what happened between him saying that? Oh, you're raising your I hand. Think, I think up. you just answered a question for us. I think what we're saying in 1996 is him getting his own family within the Cosmo family. 
and 2000 that we see at the funeral is when he split from the Cosmo family and started his own. I think that's the difference, and that's why we're confused. Oh. So I think four years went by where he was in the family and then split and turned his subfamily into a major family, we'll call it. Yeah, a minor family and a major family. Yes. <laughs> and so I guess that's the thing is that we see that the minor family of Nishiki's is something that everyone agrees and is happy with. But him becoming a major family is what starts to upset them. And we don't know what mm -hmm. happened to push them. But we know that initially the minor family was created under happy, happy terms. Well, I still don't fully trust Kazuma. <laughs> but for some reason, Kashiwagi oozes trust. Like, I trust him. Yeah. But I know he's under Kazuma. So then I start to have some doubts and stuff but overall i feel like kashiwagi does try to do what's best for kiryo and nishiki well yeah he's the one in yakuza zero who showed up with the kazuma family mm -hmm. to help the two of them going going mm -hmm. out like 200 people by themselves but kazuma's plan was to be in jail during all of it like eh. kazuma is a great yakuza but i don't think he's as good of a mentor as kiryu thinks he is but yes, going back to the current timeline, Shimano learns of Kiryu's reappearance and punishes the men who were defeated by him. Shimano does not mess around. I mean, we see his head get cut. I think you had the same thought I did. Like, oh no, this this poor woman shaving his head is going to get it. She's going to get her head cut off. Thankfully not, uh, but someone does lose two fingers. So Kiryu attends Sarah's funeral. Things get a little hairy, so he manages to sneak into HQ, but is somehow spotted by an Omi member. So I guess he didn't really sneak in. This Omi member reveals that Nishiki has ordered Kiryu to be captured, but Kiryu is able to defeat him and then meets up with Shinji, who takes him up to see Kazuma. When Kazuma arrives, he tells Kiryu that Nishiki changed after the Dojima incident, especially after losing Kiryu Yumi. And his sister. So, yeah, she didn't make it. The last surgery didn't work. But at the same time, though, I'm assuming that the surgery was relatively soon after the the death of Dojima. So that doesn't really fall into the timeline because in 1996, towards the end of the year, which is after the death of Dojima, Nishiki seemed very happy to, to get the family. And then from what it says that shortly after, I'm assuming even a year or two, after the surgery, which by then we would have already known that it didn't work and his sister probably already died. How is it that he it, like that quickly changes and wants to leave their family? To build off what you said, we will learn more. Things will, will be explained a little bit more. I believe this is part of what was added in in the Kiwami remake. But yes, like you said, Cosmo mentioned that all he really cared about since losing all of them was the Yakuza. I mean, that's kind of fair. What else do you have left at that point? Pretty much everyone that you've known and cared about is gone. But he also is about to tell Kiri something about Yumi. And I don't know, it sounded like maybe he knows where she is or something about her. But he can't finish the sentence because he gets shot in the shoulder through a window by someone in a building across from HQ. And then, of course, Shimano arrives and assumes that Kiryu shot him after a brief scuffle. Cosmo tells Kiryu to run and take care of Yumi and the missing 10 billion yen. Well, first of all, someone needs to put pressure on 
Kazama's wound. <laughs> or maybe Shimano wants Kazama to bleed out and die. Who knows? But this entire scene is a bit crazy because you would think that a Tojo clan with so many Yakuza, there would be better security guards and staffing. But I'm also starting to question the motives of shooting Kazama. Because here's the thing. If you wanted to kill someone like that, you're going to hire a an expert, right? A Lao Gui, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, the equivalent <laughs> of him. But the thing is that this person obviously did not go for a headshot. Or maybe they did and they missed. But I don't think so. If this guy missed, was it an accident? Or he, did he intentionally miss to keep Kazuma alive and to make it so Kiryu is caught and everyone tries to kill Kiryu? Well, it's a good question because you made me realize, if we can go back just a little bit, not only does nobody help Kazuma, Kazuma doesn't bother to say, it wasn't Kiryu, he didn't shoot me. Someone sniped me from across. <laughs> like, why does he not clear the air? I think Kazuma is the one who ordered someone to shoot him that Kiryu gets just caught. Make sure you don't kill me. <laughs> yeah, but enough to frame Kiryu, who I treat like my son. Right, because why would he not? I mean, it seems like a far-fetched theory, but based off of what we know from Yakuza 0, not so much. Because why would you not say, Kiryu didn't shoot me, stop attacking him? Or you point to the window to show that the bullet went through there, and it's obviously right. not Kiryu who has no gun in hand. There's a few things that raise some red flags in this whole incident. Mm-hmm. Kazama himself is a red flag. <laughs> he is a red flag. So at one point during his escape, he runs into Majima and wins, although Majima hints that he let him win. Clearly he was sent here to like, hey, everybody needs to try to stop Kiryu. And Majima's like, okay, we're going to have a little fight because I like that. But then he just lets him go. And he turns around and has his back towards him, so he's not even afraid that Kiryu is going to pull something. Not afraid at all. Majima says at the end of Yakuza's, you're like, I'm a family man. He seems pretty loyal to Shimano. And even in this scene, he says something along the lines of, like, when the boss says jump, I say how high. But it kind of feels like he's on his own team. Because he lets Kiryu leave here. He's just really good at being neutral. Mm -hmm. If it's not affecting him, he probably is going to let it slide. But Majima also hints that there's someone very eager to fight him waiting outside. And uh, of course, it's Shimano. He is the final obstacle before reaching the exit. He does defeat him. Kiryu is running to escape when he turns back to see an unbothered Nishiki looking back at him before turning to walk away with a little, little sly smile on his face. What did you make of that? I feel like Nishiki is trying to piss Kiryu off enough to force him to keep fighting, keep getting stronger to find who he was prior to being in jail, which is reasonable to understand that. I will want to say that I think Shimano's abs are the first set of abs we see in this game. <laughs> no, Majima. Majima, Majima, Majima. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the full-on naked upper body, though. <laughs> the, the whole shebang. <laughs> The half shipping compared to the full shipping would be completely naked. <laughs> like the diaper dude. What did we call that guy? A pervert? We had a name for him. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I feel like we had a name for him, though. But I don't remember what it was. 
We'll have to go back and listen to her podcast. I can't remember either. <laughs> I will say that during this fight scene with Kirio and Shimano, all these low-level crews are just like swaying like they're seaweed in the middle of the ocean, just moving left and right, unbothered. Yeah, seaweed and water is the most accurate description. And also, during this entire scene, though, do we even see Sarah's dead body? And that's where... <laughs> My, my theory comes to place. So we did run into this building, which Leah, you mentioned that it looked like a church, but we were confused. I was so confused. Like, how did I not see the coffin, though? <laughs> yeah, but the coffin is a closed casket. And so that brings me to my wild theory is that maybe Sarah isn't dead. Maybe he spread it, spread this rumor around. So he's truly a ghost in the night. And able to navigate and go places without really being worried that his identity is revealed. And I'm also curious to think that maybe because no one really talks about seeing him. Or there's not much that really indicates that he's truly dead. There's no witnesses and stuff that we know about. I'm starting to think that Sarah's not dead. I I want your theory to be true because... This man deserved a better funeral than this. Yeah. What a shitty funeral. And the fact that Kiryu had so much respect for Sarah and then immediately starts to ruin his entire Ruined funeral his by picking funeral. fights with everyone. Yeah. He deserved better. So I, I hope you're mm-hmm. right. I hope he did. A, he pulled a fast one. Just got out of town. So we are back in time again. And we see Nishiki struggling to control his men. This one guy, especially, I think his name was Matt Shig- Matt. I should have written it down. I think it's Matsushige. This one guy especially is just trampling him, walking all over him. He makes it pretty plain, even, that he kind of wished Kiryu was the boss. He says something along the lines of, if Kiryu was here, it'd be different. And this is when he accuses him of just being a a kiss-ass. But do you think that this guy has a little bit of a point? Do you think Nishiki knows what he's doing? He's still young. It's 96. He's also younger than this other dude. So I feel like it isn't about if he knows what he's doing. It's about a different way of ruling these people than what those guys are used to. And they see that as something that they can take advantage of Nishiki. I'm also slightly mad that he didn't fight them. (laughs) I think he was caught a little bit off guard. I think he maybe got a little bit insecure off of those comments and was like, did I earn my place here? Do I actually have the merit? So I think there's just a lot swirling in his brain, but I agree. I would have loved to see him just headbutt that guy across the desk. Backhand slap him. We have to have a backhand slap so that it makes the Reina slap seem less, <laughs> less intense. <laughs> oh, God. I'm still not over that. I know. How do you slap her? She's amazing. She's let him crash that place so many times and made it his safe haven. And he goes ahead and slaps her. Come you on, don't do that. You could do better. Reina is a treasure. So we are back again to present day. Kiryu is being chased out of Tojo HQ when he is rescued by none other than Date. We'll soon learn that Date is now in the organized crime division and he is investigating Sarah's murder. And he'd like Kiryu's help, to which Kiryu agrees. But he kind of hints that it's Kiryu's fault that he got demoted, essentially. I don't know. What do you make of where Date's at right now? I'm kind of irritated that Date's going to blame him. Like, you could have chose to set up boundaries and not be freaking obsessed with Kiryu and everything in his world. You could have just 
said, you know, it's 5 p.m. I'm going to go home and spend time with my family. No one told <laughs> you to go and spend all your time chasing after every lead that you get. But I almost feel like he's, I don't know if he's blaming Kiryu because I think Date knows that he did what he wanted to do mm-hmm. and that it was against what the department wanted him to do. I think what he's saying from from my perspective is he's more just trying to guilt cure you into helping him with this investigation so that's one potential motive but maybe he is kind of blaming him like if you had just come clean and told me it wasn't you in that interrogation like neither of us would be here right now but i will say that there is a parallel of him coming to save kirio similar to when tachibana came in with this red car and just (laughs) drifted over and it was really cool. I will say Tachibana did it better. But there is a parallel of both Date and Tachibana going to save Kiryu from a massive fight. There's nothing cooler than a, a guy who doesn't know how to drive showing up in a sports car. Date gives him his, a phone. And I have to say that Kiryu's hands are massive compared to this tiny phone. Everybody's hands are too big. Yes, but like... Come on, like, what's up with the scale of his hand-to-phone ratio? You also commented, I don't know if you were going to say this later, but oh. you, you talked about Carrie's hair looks like asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> In the earlier scenes, when we get close up, you'll see the way that they paint on his hair. <laughs> it's like in little flakes, and it just looks like an artichoke heart or an asparagus and you made the comment saying that it's VeggieTale inspired. <laughs> they need to cast him in the next VeggieTales. So they have to. <laughs> Date says that he's going to start looking for the $10 billion if Kiryu will start looking for Yumi. So Kiryu decides that his first stop will be Serena. Ten years later, and that welcome mat is still askew. Reina's still working there. And all she really has to offer is that a woman named Mizuki stopped in about five years ago claiming to be Yumi's long-lost sister, and that she worked at Serena for about four years before leaving to open up her own bar, Aris, as she dropped off the map after that. How did Reina not age a single day in the ten years that we know her? She's still wearing the same outfit and everything. Because she's a gem. She's a treasure. I was just about to say that. You took that out of my... No, Damn I was it, about I'm to sorry. Say that. She's a gem. She's amazing. She is. My other question is, do you think Yumi is pretending to be Izuki? I don't know. Like, we never see them both at the same time, so it could be she's playing <laughs> as two different people. Well, to be fair, we haven't seen either one of them. <laughs> true. Um... I mean, obviously, I know what happens, but just hold on, hold on to your theories. I'm not going to give anything away, mm-hmm. but Reyna does mention that the bartender at Bacchus will probably know where Aris is, but we just left this bar. How many times is this game going to send us back and forth running around town? It's a little much, but on his way out, Reyna says, are you not going to ask about Nishki? And Kiryu kind of just pauses and she says, did you hear from somebody else? But Kiryu says that no matter what he's heard, he needs to see for himself. Which I respect. Do you think Kiryu is being too optimistic? Is he not being realistic enough? Or do you think that he's right? Nishiki's misunderstood. I don't think that Ishiki is misunderstood. 
I feel like Kiryu thinks that no one really understands the real Nishiki besides me. We've been through so much together at the orphanage and everything, and therefore, he wants to see it with his own eyes. And for Marvel fans out there, this is the same as when... <laughs> Sorry, you launched <laughs> when... into that so fast. <laughs> I was about to jump in early, so I had this in my mind. But for Marvel fans, this is very similar to Steve Rogers not really believing that Bucky is the Winter Soldier in terms of the brainwashed version of him. He wants to see with his own eyes, despite what everyone's telling him. So I think that's the same thing. It's the whole trust but verify of, I'll take your word for it in a way, but I'm going to check for myself to really make sure that Nishiki is who you said he is. Because I know the real Nishiki, and I'm going to double check for myself. I wish I could build off of that, but I do not watch Marvel. I'm sorry. I don't love them, you guys. I'm sorry. Don't hate me. Some of the first ones... It takes a while to get into, so I think it also depends on which movies you see, but that's a day for another it's a conversation for another day. Also, you have to live to be four hundred years old to have enough time to see them all now. So Kiryu heads back to Bacchus, but when he arrives he finds a very different scene than what he left. I mean let's just let's just cut to it. There's dead bodies everywhere. The bartender's dead. There's, there's blood. blood everywhere. So how long was Kiryu gone for for this many people to have blood out and everything? feels like maybe 10 minutes but maybe it's more like half an hour an hour i don't know and what motives are there to kill all these people let's talk about that because they would have to know right if they're trying to stop cure you if is that the motive because if that's the motive then they have to know he's trying to get information out of the bartender right so trying to stop Kiryu, the best way is to just kill him I can't, you're not, you're not wrong. I can't argue with that. <laughs> but maybe, maybe uh, Kiryu is a pawn. Maybe this is like a, a Cosmo plan and Kiryu is his pawn again, like in Y0. I know Kiryu loves Cosmo. I just don't. I think he used Kiryu. We've been over this, so I won't say anything more, but could it be part of like a Cosmo plan of like, I need Kiryu to be where I need him and I don't need him to find this bar. So I'm going to kill these people. <laughs> With that being said, though, with the next scene of a little girl just hiding there, that means that Kazuma either A, didn't plan for this little girl to be showing up there, or B, did plan for this girl to show up there and make sure everyone's dead before she gets there and make sure she survives so Kiryu can find her and spend his time being a somewhat father to her. That's a... That's a... That's a... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> We've been drinking. Cut me some slack, please, people. Um, <laughs> hold on to that question because, yeah, could Haruka be a pawn? We'll soon find out that that is her name. But this poor girl is traumatized. She's holding a gun, cowering behind the bar. She says that when she arrived, there were just a bunch of dead people. That's a lot to take in. I applaud her instincts for survival and grabbing that gun and hiding, though. Good, good for you, Haruka. But at the same time, is that really good? Because Kitty just popped around the corner and she didn't shoot him. So what if she- Kitty was a bad person? Like, so what if you have the gun? She didn't shoot him. Not that we wanted her to shoot him, but... Well, there's a difference between instincts and freezing, I think. She has the right idea, but maybe she just can't act, act on it. I don't blame her, though. She's, like, not even 10 years old. She's, yeah, she's young. This is a lot to take in. But Kiryu asks what she's doing here, and she said that she was searching for her mom, which led her to Bacchus. 
This is also the same girl that we saw watching the news report about Kiryu's fight at Tojo HQ. So maybe she recognized him and wasn't afraid of him? I mean, she says that she showed up and everyone was dead. But you she's know, too calm for that. She's holding the gun. It doesn't. She's awfully calm for someone who has seen all that stuff. But if she killed them all, though, at the same time, <laughs> she would be covered in blood. And she's not. Kiryu leaves with Haruka, and he soon finds out that she lives in an orphanage, more specifically Sunflower, and she also mentions that her aunt, Yumi, would often bring her letters. So that's a lot of coincidences, right? Mm-hmm. So, is she a pawn? Is she part of a Kazuma plan? Or is this all just crazy coincidence? There's no such thing as that many coincidences, but also... Kazuma pretty much owns the Sunflower Orphanage in a way that it seems like he goes there and, and finds people quite frequently. So I wouldn't be surprised. Finds people? What does that mean? Well, I feel like he didn't adopt Kiryu and Nishiki out of love for these two boys and out of just wanting to be a oh father. Oh my gosh. What? That was brutal. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Uh, yes. But here's the thing, though. I I just... It's it's not Kazuma's fault or anyone's fault that he just doesn't have the capacity to love anyone. It's true. <laughs> I feel like he went there to find these two as a pawn. And I wouldn't be surprised if he went back there to see... Let's see who else I can use as a pawn in my game. After saving a dog and watching a very satisfying rock hit to the face of an owl. Kiryu and Haruka go to Serena, and they're kind of talking a bit with Reina, and this is when Haruka reveals that she knows where Aris is, and Kiryu has no choice but to let her tag along. And Kiryu just strikes me as the type who becomes, like, this very reluctant father figure. Mm -hmm. She looks at him like he's a superhero, especially when he threw the rock back at those <laughs> thugs who totally just served getting the rock to their faces. Well, I mean, let's think about it. She saw him demolish, like, 80 people single-handedly on TV. And then she sees him defeat these dog abusers. She probably does think he's a superhero. I mean, that's pretty much as close as you can mm -hmm. get, right? I don't mm -hmm. blame her. But it is adorable. So we know that Misuki has a tattoo. And we're curious if mm -hmm. that's going to be a sunflower. But also, how is Haruka going to three different bars within one day? She's not even like 10 years old. Mm. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've never had my words get just caught in my throat like that before. <laughs> That's a good wrong. question. <laughs> As I was trying to say, that's a good question. Because we also see she passes out during their stroll. And so Kiryu runs through the streets. With a passed out seven-year-old in his arms in the red light district. <laughs> Nobody stops him. But speaking of that, they do head to Aris. And they eventually do get stopped by a cop at some point who questions their relationship. But Haruka handles that like a champ. Kiryu freezes, but she gets him out of it. You wonder who who taught her all these, these skills. that she learned it from being at the Sunflower Orphanage? But just before that, while they're walking in the street, 
Haruka asks Kiryu if he knows about the Millennium Tower, and he responds, crazy to think they'd build that there of all places, and then she kind of asks why, and he says that things happened there a long time ago. So, is this the empty lot? Was this built on the empty lot? At first, that's what I thought so too, but later when Haruka makes the comment saying that, oh, I've never been to the top, I wonder how much you can see, he then goes to say that you can see all of Kamurocho. That sentence made me think it's the same building where Tachibana's headquarters were. Do you want do you want the answer? <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's a word in here I don't I've never seen before, so if I pronounce it wrong, please don't make fun of me, everyone. Sometimes you just don't know things. But in the after credits of Yakuza Zero. I didn't let you watch this because it has a lot of spoilers in it. Okay. <laughs> I, did, I didn't know that when I played the game and I had something spoiled for me, unfortunately. But there is a blurb in the after credits and it says under the I, I guess it's A-E-G-I-S. I don't know what the hell that word is, but under the I guess of Sarah and the Tojo clan, the area around the empty lot underwent a dramatic revitalization. So that would be the Camarocho revitalization project that we heard so much about in Yakuza 0. And it continues to say, Today, a new emblem of Camarocho stands proudly upon that storied lot, the Millennium Tower. Oh, wow. I wonder who made the profits then? Who are, wh- where did the profits go? And- mm-hmm. It's kind of poetic that this is now becoming like a central point in this storyline. It's the same plot of land. It's just above it now. <laughs> We're going to this bar. We'll talk more about this later, but Kiryu and Haruka do arrive at the Millennium Tower. And the bar is on the top floor. Haruka knows how to get to the top. <laughs> you need a special code. And so my first question is, do you think that whoever was telling her about all this, I think it was Yumi who was telling her about everything, wanted Haruka to end up here? Because why else would she give her the code? I'm wondering what other codes does she know? Right. And I feel like this is just more evidence that Haruka is is a, a pawn in somebody's plan. And why would you even want Haruka in this area? The elevators are awfully high. Even Kiryu has to like reach up to press that button. So say that you're in a wheelchair. How are you going to touch that top button? You're not going to the top floor. You're going to floor five and you're going to like it. That's as far <laughs> as you're getting in a wheelchair. <laughs> Now inside the bar, Kiryu asks Haruka why she was placed at an orphanage, and she says she doesn't know, but she shows Kiryu a locket that she was given by Yumi. What do you think that's about? What's with the locket? I think it's part of a code, but I I, I want to save what I want to say for a later part. Okay. Inside the bar, they find a portrait of Mizuki, and Kiryu comments that Raina was right. She does kind of look like Yumi. Now, this is when we see a little bit of the tattoo that you are referencing, but we don't get a close-up look. But while they're looking at this, some goons from the Omi Alliance show up, led by the lieutenant advisor, Hayashi. Right as the confrontation is beginning, Kiryu's phone rings. It seems kind of weird to me that Hayashi was like, go ahead and answer it. That's not your standard villain behavior. He probably wants to know who's calling him. It turns out that it is Date calling him, and he tells Kiri that he believes Yumi stole the 10 billion yen because her ring was found at the crime scene. So I have a question for you. Do you think that she left the ring on purpose? Because her name 
is on it. I don't wear a lot of jewelry, but do rings just fall off your finger like that? I don't think so. Unless they're really big on your finger, but we also do know that she was in a scuffle when Dojima was pretty much trying to force himself on her, and so I can see a ring being lost because of that, but I don't think it normally falls off. Well, yeah, because does that happen twice? Because if it came off in a struggle with Dojima, it also came off in a struggle when the 10 billion yen was stolen. That seems just kind of, I don't know. But I also think we both had a had a question about this bar. There's like a um, semi-enclosed water pool. Is this, do you swim in that? What is that? Is it just to look at? Seems like a pretty bad idea when you have a bunch of drunk people because <laughs> they're either going to go in the water and just pass out and drown themselves or they're going to just like puke or pee or poop in the water. <laughs> either way, it's just a bad idea and it's like a... It's an interesting choice. Not one that I would have made. After Date's call, Kiryu assumes that the Omi wants Yumi and Mizuki as they are connected to the missing 10 billion. But Hayashi says that they're after Haruka... But he doesn't tell them why. So my first thought is that why do they want Arika? Is it because of some kind of other code that she knows that they need? Or is it something that she knows from a letter? They need her DNA? Or maybe they need the locket from her. So I do want to circle back to everything we've learned. So this is what my theory is. That... Yumi and Mizuki are siblings and they were separated at birth. Something something happened and they can only keep one and move the other one into orphanage. So this is where my theory kind of splits into two different potential things. Is that one, the Tojo clan is responsible for killing Yumi and Mizuki's parents and Mizuki's back here to seek revenge and to cause civil war within the Tojo clan to break it from the inside. And she's going to do that by having Yumi steal the 10 billion yen. The other theory is that Misuki is reuniting with Yumi so they can be one of the first few leaders in the Tojo clan and find their own place within the family by either stealing the same money and then demonstrating their innocence and then providing it back. Or even use it as a bargaining chip. Yeah. And yeah. maybe Nishiki knows because they're part of the Sunflower orphanage and he's just here supporting them and that's why he has his own family and he's totally backed by their capital all right well the next gameplay is out so uh, go give it a watch or if you're playing along go play chapters five and six and we'll be back next week and i guess we will roll our outro you want to count us off kathy okay audacity on one three two one thank you for listening and don't forget to send in any questions comments or game suggestions you can find all our contact info on our website, replayreviewspod.com, or contact us directly through our site. Did we completely miss something? Are we way off the mark? Or do you just want us to take a deeper look at anything from the game? We'll tackle any topics you all want to hear in our season wrap-up episode. We also have a Reddit where we discuss anything we're curious about. Go take a look and let us know what you're thinking. Our theme music is Condemned by Eggy Toast. They'll play you out, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>